Those kinds of measures will serve you much better when things turn around again, 2022. Sorry for that prediction. <laughs> um, um, it will serve you, you, you a lot better because you, you, your people will have been through it with you and you will have a much stronger base to go from. So, so don't assume that, that, that layoffs is the, is the, is the best, is, is, is the only option that you, that right. you have. Right. And, that's, and this is, this is you know, for attorneys, it's not just about the contract and releasing people. It's about you know, thinking about options with respect to how you manage your workforce it has nothing to do with employment law, just to take off those people who are employment lawyers listening to this. Um, it's, it's the, the law is, is just a tool to help you execute stuff, but it's, you know, what you do and how you approach that says everything about your ethos and how you, how you, how you, you know, work it through to, together in a way going, going forward. Hello. And welcome to the Law Firm Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Griffiths, Executive Director of the International ne Lawyers Network. And joining me this week is our very special guest, Michael Roch, who is with MHRPR Advisors. Michael is a software entrepreneur advisor to managing partners and CEOs. He's been consulting for over 20 years to law and professional services firms in the US, UK, Europe, Africa, and Asia. He's founder and managing partner for 10 years of, global, of a global consulting boutique, partner and chief commercial officer in Alliance Board, which is an alliance management technology. He had an early career as a CPA and attorney. He's currently finishing a DBA on alliance management, and he is based in Zurich. So, Michael, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, Lindsay. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Great. So we, you're a little bit outside of our normal guest realm because you're not one of our lawyers. So we're really excited to talk to you. I know you've got a lot to offer to our listeners here, and uh, we've got some great questions for you. So first, um, if you could tell us a little bit about your experience in the early days of the pandemic from your business owner perspective and what decisions that you felt you had to make at that time. Great. Well, um, Lindsay, um, early on, um, and I will just answer with my head on as the CCO for Alliance Board, um, you know, we had the lucky situation that we are a remote first company. Mm -hmm. So we have teams in Montreal, uh, Canada, here in Zurich, Switzerland, and um, in the Tallinn, Estonia, where a lot of our developers are based out of. And um, we're a remote first, first firm. So initially, in terms of the changes we had to make were um, nil in terms of the infrastructure and anything like that. That was that's in place from the beginning. Um, we did have to make sure that you know people were were secure, were safe, and were were, were sort of doing doing the right things. Um, so the the immediate impact of what we had to do was fortunately quite limited for for the for the for the software side. Um, for the consulting side, um, we you know there, there's a there was a, a a history going back to the global financial crisis. And uh, when I was uh, running uh, you know Common Partners, which is the global consulting boutique that you referred to, we were um, operating in about you know, seven countries, serving clients in 40. And what we experienced in the global financial crisis was an immediate sort of 100% drop off of work in the US. Uh, so we had, to, we had to basically close that office and, 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 uh, and you know, do, do a lot of the hard decisions that, that we had to take at the time. 
Um, and we were sort of braced for exactly that situation. Mm -hmm. um, that fortunately didn't turn out to be that way. So, you know, on the consulting side, it's been it's been a super good run. And because the software side has seen um, a, a a big increase in interest because it's a collaboration platform, which when you're working remotely is is, is critical to to alliance managers. We've had a good run there too. So the economic impact for us with both hats that I'm wearing has been luckily um, quite limited. Mm -hmm. um, very different situation, of course, with respect to our clients. Um, and there, you know, on the on the the, the, the corporates that is that are served by the by the software, um, you know, they've they've got, had to go through all that, right? We're, we're working with some of the largest pharma companies in the world, large tech firms, oil and gas companies, and you know, most of those companies are not remote remote first. They were physical first, and they had to cope with you know everything from you know getting people set up at home making all the vpns work um thinking about how do we collaborate remotely all of that sort of thing our our on the consulting side our law firm clients and our our accounting clients and the consulting clients um many of them were in a in a similar shape so i'll give you one anecdote of an italian client a very large very well respected consulting firm um they um they were in growth mode uh when COVID hit and um, on the first day of the massive and very severe lockdown that they had in Italy, um, they were looking to onboard um, 40 new consultants that day. Oh my gosh. And, um, and you know, how do you do that? <laughs> um, so um, my, my, you know, my, my, uh, my client and friend um, in Milan was telling me, he said, look, look you know, how do I get laptops to people when the delivery trucks are not allowed to operate? Answer, I can't. So. I basically had to make it work that people use their own laptops, some of which not very good, very powerful. Uh, we had to sort of find a way to deploy a proper sort of MS Office infrastructure onto them in the first day or two, and then do the onboarding that we do in our consulting firm, do all of that remotely. Um, so some, you know, that, that's that, that I think was the both the most severe example that I've seen, but also the, the best example of how they've just said, okay, here's what the situation is we're not going to not onboard these 40 people. Let us make the best experience of this. And within a week, uh, two weeks, I would maybe, maybe a week or two, they were, you know, used to doing stuff. I mean, partly that's because they were consultants, you know, and they're just, you know, it's just how consultants think. It's like, okay, well, we've got a problem. How do we solve it? You know, we get our resources plan. Let's go do it. Um, but um, that, that was probably a very stellar way in terms of how they've, they've, they've handled that. Um, and then, you know, when you, when you've, you know, we've, we've got then a lot of inquiries about, you know how how do I how do I make this work leading remotely, leading my partners, leading my teams? How how do how do we do that? And and um, and um, what what I've then done very quickly is put together a a video cast for for people that I think you and some of the ILN folks also have 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 had a chance to listen in on a bit to say well okay you know. Here's the one, 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 one by one, or the, 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 you know, the, the math about um, how do you do remote, you know, management, remote leadership, mm -hmm. and um, those, those old lessons. I stand by those. They, 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 they work for us in, in our remote first software company. They work very well, and, um, and, um, and clients, I think, were quite, quite grateful for those. But um, to, to answer your original question, you know, our, our own impact has been limited because we have been remote first thankfully and uh, we're able to support some people through those very first stages in a very informal you know just how do you get this done sort of way
Yeah. And I think, you know, your the story that you told and, and some of the comments that you made really tie in well to the next question that I had, which is that presumably you're getting a lot of calls from people who were panicked. I think there was a lot of anxiety in the beginning of, of the pandemic. Not that that has distilled <laughs> in any major way. I think we're all just sort of in this low grade panic mode now. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously they needed that guidance early on, um, but maybe they were concerned about their financial situation. And I know that continues now where, where people are having trouble sort of predicting what their financial situation is going to look like six months from now, a year from now. So I know many lawyers are in, in a similar position. I'm sure you're hearing this from your law firm clients. So how do you handle that when clients are, are saying, you know, we, we need help, but we either don't want to pay those rates or, or we need a little flexibility in terms of payment options? Yeah. Um, there, um, there, I think the best advice is you discriminate, brutally discriminate by the quality of client. So to me, there's a big difference when you have on the one extreme, have a new, new client who literally walks in the door and says, Oh, you know, I need some help, but I can't pay you. Like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's, let's see, you know, what, what that might be. But, um, there, you know, the, you know, you do the normal, I mean, I don't know how, how, uh, how uh, your member firms do this, but, um, you know, if there's a credit check, you, you still do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you might get some money on account and so forth. But when a client comes to you and says, look, I need help, but I can't pay you, um, that if it's, if it's a new client just coming in, I'm, I'm always a bit, bit cautious about, about that because either they need the advice and they're looking for something and then, you know, you're, you're, you're not the bank, you know, you, you, you know, the, the reality is you're not the bank. Um, so that's that's sort of one one box I would I would put clients. So the second box on the other extreme is your crown jewels, your key clients, where I think the scenario is very different. And there too, I discriminate between owner-managed businesses um, who you know are just trying to, to to make it happen and are looking to grow, um, or even stage one um, uh, startups. Right, Th- them one would be much more willing to support than the example which we also had, uh, where um, large corporates, I mean, even pre-COVID, uh, just to do to, to, to that de- detour, about uh, 20, late 2018, 2019, large corporates, basically the CFOs got together or they didn't officially get together, but broadly got together and say, look, all the payment terms are now 90 days. And that's, that's criminal to start, right? Because, you know, the, the, especially the smaller providers, the smaller suppliers, you know, to, to have a 90 day payment delay, that's already a big issue, a problem, and is something that's you know, unconscionable in its own way. So a large publicly held corporate who says, look, you know, I need the service, but I can't pay you, even if it's a crown jewel client, um, hopefully there you can have a conversation with somebody other than procurement, um, possibly the CLO and say, look, you know, um, we can do that for some work, but you know, we just can't do that for some other work and please find a way to run the exception inside your internal processes. Um, you then have sort of your, but if you have, a, if you have your clients who maybe aren't publicly held, but are you know, owner managed and you're working directly with the, 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 the owner or the owner group or the board as the conciliary where the firm is really doing everything from corporate to regulatory to litigation, um, there, you know, if you see, hey, look, you know, if we need to make, make an arrangement on payment terms, one might be able to be flexible there. Um, if we can um, do some things on a success fee basis, um, that might be a solution, right? I mean, yes, we, of course, we love to charge by the hour, but um, in respect of M&A, for example, sometimes that doesn't align the economics. So mm-hmm. you say, well, look, we will, you know, we can, we can talk about 
a you know smaller retainer up front, but when there is a success, then we need to see a you know hundred percent return on fees, for example. Um, that's something that that one can do creatively if you've got the right relationship. Um, but um, you know, just because a client comes begging, I always go back to you know which is the client and um, and uh, are we talking about a crown jewel or are we talking about an important client are we talking about just a client who comes to you every once in a while or are we talking about somebody who just comes off the street is maybe asking for a service that's not core um, that to me would figure into the equation of you know how flexible one might be with respect to payment terms now that takes some some guts um, to to have that conversation um, but um, you know the the even in the pandemic everybody has to live and um, and cash flow is also one way to live, right? Right, right. What about the tendency to for lawyers to feel like they should offer a discount? Well, that's a different question, right? I mean, that's that's, that's a price question. <laughs> that's not yes. a, payment, it's yeah. a price question. Right, that's a price question. And um, you know, there too. Um, I mean, that's that's a whole that's a big topic, right? On price price management um, and partner. You know, yeah, partners are pretty quick to to offer discounts. Mm -hmm. Um, the, what, what I've advocated for many years is that in the firm, you've got a, either a pricing czar, um, who, whose approval you have to get or a pricing committee mm -hmm. whose approval you have to get to grant certain discounts. And, and there, I would say apply also, you know, ha have a, have a criteria framework, um, for, you know, for, for some clients discount fine. Um, you know, for some other clients, for some other type of work, not fine. Um, the um the 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 it's not just attorneys who have that problem right if you if you if you talk to salespeople um when you look at sales teams um salesperson always likes to give a big discount to get the sale but the question of what's the knock-on effect on that and um and you you know that's the short answer is you know don't do it if you do do it do it cautiously and do it in a rationalized cascaded way so that um you, you know you you you, you can you know, maximize the return from the clients that you're, that you're serving and so that you don't inadvertently start a price war because nobody's served with that. Um, the other thing goes probably in the, into the purpose of things, right? If, if, a, if a client comes to you and says, look, I'd like to have this discount, you wanna sort of find out a bit, are, you, are they asking you for a discount out of principle? Are they asking you for a discount because they've already selected another firm to do it and just want to use your price point as a way to negotiate down the firm that they've selected. Mm -hmm. um, you know, information is king here. And, um, and, um, and without more, you know, what's the rationale for giving a discount? You know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. Um, and one of the things, you know, we've talked to business leaders about at this time is their ability to bring in additional business. You know, you mentioned um, uh, companies using firms as leverage to get, you know, a different price at, at an, another firm. Um, mm -hmm. So I know some firms have been hesitant to try and bring in new business at this time. And they're really feeling like they need to be cautious and just keep their existing clients happy. And if they're bringing in new business, they're trying to do that within existing clients. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think firms should be staying cautious or should they be trying to bring in new business from other places? So that's a great question. Um, and let me try to offer a couple of different perspectives on that. So um, Tiffany Bovey, who is the Salesforce sort of growth evangelist, um, she has basically come out and said, look, um, 
you know, this is the year of the existing customer. This is the year of the existing client. And it, I don't think that you want to stop all new business development, but how new business development happens has fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. And uh, let, me, let me offer sort of the, the waterfall of priorities that we've applied in, in both the software business and in the consulting business. And that I think provides a good sort of resource allocation of the limited amount of time that partners have to do business development, right? Because partners have to serve clients and also look, look for new work, whether it comes from existing clients or from future clients or from new clients. So my hierarchy is, is, is really quite simple. So first it starts with that key client and that's your crown jewels. You don't have 12 key clients. You maybe have five, you maybe have six. Those clients that have been with you for a long time where, the, where you have many practice areas that are serving that particular client, that are serving different divisions in that client and just you know, the, the very embedded crown jewel. And a firm you know, will have two or three partners in each client. Um, it's a, you know, this is you know, the, the crown jewels of the firm you know, that, that are responsible for a reasonably good chunk of, of the revenue. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that you clearly, you know, wrap your arms around, love, provide value-added services, um, try to do as much as you can for, and those are the ones that I'd also probably, you know, be most amenable to providing a discount, go back to the prior discussion. So yeah, focus definitely on the KCMs. Next one is a tear down, um, sort of the, the, the sort of 20 or 50 larger clients, um, you know, making sure that they stay with you, they don't go anyplace else, you know, seeing if you can expand a bit the revenue or doing, providing new services to that client or just slightly different services. So for example, if you've been doing, I don't know, M&A work for them, can we help you restructure a couple of deals that have gone bad? I mean, whatever your practice is, right? Um, on private clients, it's same, you know, if, if you will have some, some individuals or well, what are these individuals, you know, looking for what, what investments do they want to get out of and so forth. That's sort of that second big group of client. And then there's the big tail, and you know you just serve them reactively. So key clients, second tier clients. Then the third hierarchy to me is referral sources. This is your other, in your case, other island member firms. It is accountants, it is consultants, it is investment banks, it's other places where you get work, where you get re referrals from, spend some time with them, understand what their clients are struggling with and so forth. That's the third place in, in the hierarchy. The fourth place then for me is new business development. And I don't think you want to stop all new business development because you know, the, the, the resource-wise, not a lot of time, but a bit of time, you've got to maintain some kind of pipeline because some of those uh, existing clients will go away or, 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 or will go under or whichever it is. And on that one, on the new business development, on the new client development, that's where most of the you know, this is where these, these, these compensation systems are often just insane because they just focus on new, new business brought in, which is you know, not, not very constructive in my view, but, but uh, you know, the, 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 the new BD there, that has changed completely, right? So um, how do you do new business development when all of the conferences are online? You can't we go meet anybody. So, well, or if it's now a well-organized online conference, well, how do you, you know, either through a sponsorship or through otherwise get onto the, uh, 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 online platform um, can showcase a little bit. How can you interact with with participants in a way that is now electronic, face to face, not you know meeting somebody in the hallway? And there, um, uh, there is um, one one uh, one um, English uh, reporter whose name I've, I've I just don't don't have it at the top of my head, but he, he's talked a bit about you've got to develop e charisma. 
because when you meet somebody in the hallway at a conference, you're relying on your personal charisma, right? You're a big person. You, you look reasonably well put together professionally with a nice suit, decent haircut, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, um, you rely on that initial affinity as we do as humans to say, well, okay, I like this person. I think he's got something smart to say, or she's got something smart to say. Um, let us develop a conversation, et cetera. That, that you've got to figure out a different way to do that. And, and, and how do you do develop that e-charisma for yourself? First, there is, you know, when you, when you go on your webcams, you know, having a decent lighting, decent microphone, um, decent pipeline, you know, it's just all of that, all of that to recreate some of that visual charisma is part of that. Mm -hmm. Voice is part of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you, you know, I, I myself tend to speak with a fairly monotone voice. Um, I've had to learn that I have to you know, change my, you know, pitch and my, my, my pace of it. So we have to, we have to adapt to that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Then institutionally, what we can do is we can, you know, spark up our LinkedIn profiles. We can begin to create videos. We can provide thought leadership in a much more short sort of way. And this is my big topic with lawyers is that, you know, often we make things quite complicated. Um, and what, why is that, right? So, so nobody wants to read a, a, a three-page summary of what the latest regulation is. That's not useful for LinkedIn. That's not useful for really any, it wasn't even useful for people before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so, you know, find a way to, to, to add value by, by simplifying what's happening and putting it in the client's language. That takes longer than to draw on a realistic way about stuff, but, but that's part of how you develop that e-charisma so that you can you can just have a voice which is more impactful when you're looking to engage with people for the first time on social channels or, or, or otherwise. Um, so just to go, go back to me, it's a very clear hierarchy. First, your key clients, your crown jewels. Second, your sort of the, the second bucket of clients, sort of the big, big list. Um, more or less ignore the tail, be reactive to that. Then it's your referral sources. Then it's your new business development, you know, just prioritizing that a bit and then really working on that e-charisma um, um, in terms of how you get your message out so that people um, will uh, will listen to you find you and uh, can digest what you're saying you know the one thing that's that's happened in the in the in the in when everybody's in front of the video camera all day long i've been i've been in front of video cameras literally all day since early this morning um, is um, is is brevity, which I'm not applying, just giving this monologue, but <laughs> you know, keep keeping it keeping it digestible visually, keeping it audit in, in an auditory way attractive too. People's attention span are, are very are very small, mm -hmm. um, so so keep, keeping that um, keeping that digestible for the client, making it relevant for that sector that type of business, you know, is it owner managed? Is it, is it, you know, I mean, how you speak to a pharma person is very different. How you speak to a tech person or to a gas person or to a, to a, to a rich person that has 15 businesses, it's a different language that you apply. Mm -hmm. And um, you need to put in that effort um, in that interpersonal communication. And then you can think about, okay, how does that impact how I build my pipeline? And that's, I guess, my last one about new business development. Attorneys are not very good about driving a formal pipeline these days you've got to have that formal pipeline where you see okay you know what's what will come my way in terms of new business this month next month three months from now having mm -hmm. some visibility of that and, and and having that visually so you can discuss it with your colleagues with your partners is really important mm -hmm. yeah no i totally agree i mean it's something we talk a lot about um you know i I've, I've discussed it a lot on my blog about you know first setting those goals then developing the strategy that goes with those goals then developing the tactics 
and all, as part of that, as, as you described, you know, knowing your audience really well and developing the strategy and tactics that go around each of those audiences so that it's not a question of just you develop one piece of content and sort of throw it out into there and hope that somebody sees it and likes it and responds to you. And then when that doesn't work, turning around and saying like, oh, content marketing doesn't work or, you know, LinkedIn doesn't work or networking doesn't work. That's not... <laughs> That's not really the answer. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. And it's um it's from being product centric to being client centric. Yes. And and you know, looking at you know who's who who what what type of person am I looking to reach with this message? Mm -hmm. Yes, it takes a lot more effort. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to say that you've got to recreate new contents from scratch for each audience, not saying that, but you've got to adjust it a little bit so that um, people can recognize what it is that you're saying. Right, right. And I think all, all of the lawyers know who their favorite clients are. So they just talk to them and find out what it is they like, how they like to receive it, where they like to receive it, uh, and what those messages are, and then do more of that. So, um, yeah. you know, a lot of that is, is really important. So, um, yes. you know, I think we'd like to talk to a, a little bit about, you know, what some of the opportunities are for law firm leaders in times like these. Um, can you talk a little bit about what those might be? Yeah, absolutely. You've got, I think you've got a couple of opportunities and um, the, there's external ones and there's internal ones. So externally um, professional firms, law firms accounting for whatever, it doesn't matter. These days will fall into two broad categories. One group of firms has made a slight budget adjustment and is broadly doing fine within that. And then there's other firms that have really suffered. So minus 30%, minus 40% revenues. And you know, let's let's assume for a moment that you know the, the person listening to this is is in the first category. Because that's a different opportunity. There, um, I'm looking I might think about acquisitions, um, mm -hmm. meaning. Um, looking to take over practices which you know are good practices content wise they fit well within what what we're doing but they just haven't been able to make the commercials for whatever reason um, now is a good time to to acquire those take take them over right and that means you know bringing on board the the, the partners bringing on board the attorneys this some of the um, some of the paralegals some of the support staff and um, getting rid of you know the the additional offices and the you know the duplicated IT structure and so forth. So classic acquisition play. That's opportunity I think one, mm -hmm. and it's probably the least difficult to do. Um, uh, well, besides lateral hires, which is always sort of a sort of running on the side. Um, the second one is um, is probably partnerships. Looking at and this goes a bit into referral sources, but looking at other types of partnerships. So. Um, you know, what, one of the things, if, you, if you, you asked me about pricing earlier, it's like, well, okay, what's driving the pricing? What's driving the pricing is that the client's happy to pay less. So if half the clients don't want to pay as much, I've got to find a way to reduce my cost base. What's the biggest cost base? It is the people I have in the business. So can we find a way to provide, you know, to, to, to flexibilize, I should say, or whatever the verb is, but to flexibilize the labor costs that I have? Mm -hmm. um, meaning I, I maintain a core group cadre of people um, but um, I might, you know, instead of ramping up hiring two or three people when a big project comes in, I might, you know, take them on a contract or I might um, offer people part time and, you know, giving them the option to go back to full time when the load is there. So I can do quite a bit, quite a few things. Yeah. So that some of the labor attorneys or the employment lawyers are going to say, oh, you can't do all that. 
yes, you can figure it out because your clients are doing it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so find a way to flexibilize your, your workforce force a little bit. That's, that's, that's an opportunity that you can do. Um, and um, on the Alliance side, um, a lot of my work, not, not necessarily in the PSF sector, but outside the PSF sector is around ecosystems. So, and that starts, going back to that question, it starts with the client. What, what experience does the client want to have? And that might involve a lot of my services, that might involve a lot of somebody else's services and a third service and some tech and whichever. Mm-hmm. Find a way to put that together for key client, for example, um, so that they you know, have th- that, but they don't have to you know, think about, mess about with how do they source that, source that for the client, offer that as a, as a, as a possible um, solution for them. Um, and then you know the, the last one, and that's probably in connection with more acquisitions, but it goes both ways, is on the succession planning side. You, know, you, you will have a lot of f- firms that are, that are founder-led. Founder is somewhere 50 plus, and I just turned 50 this year, so I, I'm using 50 because I can. Um, who said, look, you know, I, I, yes, I've been running my own firm, that's going reasonably well, but I really am no longer, longer up for that. What, what's next? And then that person looks one step b- below him or her, and they find, well, they're still responsible for generating 70% of the revenue, 80% of the revenue. There's nobody below who can, who can take that, that job. What's, what's your option? You can't transfer the business onto that cadre of people. You just, you, you go fail, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. So one option might be to integrate it into another business. So that's where the acquiring firm has the opportunity, but also that's where founder firms have an opportunity. If you're, if you're looking to dock, dock onto some place, now is a good time to do that. Um, there's, there's always a discussion, okay, what's my practice worth? And you know, what do I get for that? And all that sort of thing. That's, one can work that out. Um, but um, there's, I think, opportunities on both sides in terms of succession planning to, um, to help some firms who are, who are founder-led, um, who are looking to get out, or you know, to, to adjust to integrate some, some firms who, 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 who are super fit, but you know, just you know, wrong, wrong uh, demographic. And, um, and uh, we, can, we can solve that if we're a larger firm. Yeah, yeah, I think those are some really interesting opportunities. And I know some firms are going to use the, this time to grow and change. And uh, But I think along with that, sometimes firms will, um, the leaders, while they see it as an exciting opportunity, those can also be some growing pains and have some challenges with them. And I know along with that, there are some communication challenges that firms have been having, not just with growth and lateral hires and acquisitions, but also how firms are dealing with t- things like employee healthcare or what to do if a key employee gets sick or if they need to reduce expenses and let people go. As you said, there are some firms who are dealing with you know, a 30% drawdown in their business. So how, what kinds of recommendations would you give to firms um, on the leadership side who are dealing with some really serious issues even when they're positive um, and they, they need to communicate that to their, their professional staff and their lawyers in a way that is effective and is going to excite them or make them feel more confident in the continuity and longevity of their firm? Oh, that's a great question. And it's so context specific. It's so hard to answer that in a <laughs> one sentence or, or, or 10 sentence sort of way. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, let me, let me try this. So, um, if the situation is that I really have to downsize, um, or I, I, well, let me put it this way. My, my existing capacities are, are, are so high that I, can't make, that I can't make it work. 
uh, there, a um, couple of things. One is transparency is key, irrespective of what your labor code says or your employment you know, process is um, to, to release people. And, and it's very different country to country, that one, right? Yeah. The, the one that's really important is the transparency so that people don't think that they are being you know, taken for a ride. So one is be transparent. Um, second, um, if you do need to downsize, um, do it once, right? Make sure that the cut is big enough that you only have to do it once. Yeah. If you absolutely have to do a second round, but if you've got to do a third round, you've, you've done a crap job in planning this out. Um, and that will, nothing will destroy your culture faster than, than, than you know, several slices. So if you go to the big banks, for example, the big banks currently are all undergoing, there's a, you know, cut, a window to cut people to reduce force every six months, right? And it puts the entire business into this gigantic realm of insecurity and uncertainty, and it's, it's awful. So if you're gonna have to do that, plan it properly, do it once, execute it properly and communicate through that in a good sort of way. You may be even getting professional help from a PR firm to, to manage the communication with you, not for you, with you, because mm -hmm. you're the leader, you have to manage it. You, nobody else can manage it for you. However, if you, you know, just before you, you know, a lot of firms, I think, not, not a lot, but some firms I've seen, it's like the first instance is, oh, we've got overcapacity, we've got to reduce our force. There are many, many other things that one can do before one reduces force, you know, from, you know, time off to you know flexible working to just reducing everybody to 80 percent like everybody from top partner to everyone just to, to be able to keep everyone on board mm -hmm. those kinds of measures will serve you much better when things turn around again 2022 sorry for that prediction <laughs> um, um, it will serve you, you, you a lot better because you, you, you know, people will have been through it with you and you will have a much stronger base to go from. So, so don't assume that, that, that layoffs is the, is the, is the best, is, is the only option that you, that right. you have. Right. And, that's, and this is, this is you know, for attorneys, it's not just about the contract and releasing people. It's about you know, thinking about options with respect to how you manage your workforce. It has nothing to do with employment law just to take off those people who are employment lawyers listening to this. Um, it's, it's the, the, the law is, is just a tool to help you execute stuff, but it's, you know, what you do and how you approach that says everything about your ethos and how you, how you, you know, how you, you know, work it through to, together in a way going, going forward. Slightly different rules apply for the partnership than for the total staff, but broadly what I've said, you know, it, it, that's, that, that would be my big, you know, uh, 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 wish is, you know, retool people, reduce work across the board and find whatever means you can before you look at the option of releasing people. Yeah. Um, that's, that's sort of the, the, the comments, but it's not really responding to your communications question. Um, on the communication side, um, to me, it's about, um, it's a lot about transparency and being explicit. So, um, you know, if, if you're talking to, let's say normal quote unquote client facing partners, always complain, we don't have enough transparency in terms of what the managing partner is doing, what the firm is doing, et cetera. I feel helpless, right? Oh, things are being done to me. The, the professional staff, the attorneys, you know, the, the, the paralegals, the, 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 the other professional staff that you have, imagine how they feel, right? They even feel less, even less connected to the decisions. So establishing a, uh, a uh, town hall, right? Weekly, bi-weekly, where you literally, you know, have a conversation with everyone about, you know, being transparent. Well, here's what's going on. Here are some successes we're having. Here's what we're struggling with. Here's how different people are helping. 
that 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 really helps keep the crew together on the communication side mm -hmm. um, and um, I guess the last one is um, and this isn't necessarily firm leader stuff it's more it's more sort of individual team leader stuff um, is you know have conversations which go beyond you know the current job the current project the current client the current you know whatever it is make sure you make time for personal interactions and whether that is one-on-one -on -one coffees whether that is uh you know four o'clock friday p.m sort of you know drinks or five o'clock or eight o'clock whatever it is create those personal interactions where you don't talk about work but you just sort of find out a little bit well how how are you doing um, you know, is there something that we can help you with? How is your home office set up? Um, we still have a lot of folks, especially the younger folks, who are, um, you know, in a, in a one-bedroom apartment or in a one-room apartment, um, especially in the bigger cities, right? Where, you know, the, the setup is awful. If they're, they're, they're on top of their laptops all day, they don't have a stand-up desk, um, they've got, uh, you know, no or very poor, you know, laptop camera, um, poor microphone, just poor infrastructure, help solve that for them, right? I mean, you know, the, the, I've, had, I've had one client that says, look, you know, we're buying office chairs for everyone. Um, we're buying air conditioners for everyone and we're buying a proper sort of, you know, docking station, et cetera, with everyone and we're giving them a X hundred dollar budget so that people can buy stand-up chairs and, you know, set themselves up so that they can work in an ergonomic way. That's very positive. You know, it's, it's um, but just interact, am I, I've got one, um, one, one set of colleagues in, in Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne has been in, a, in, a, in their second lockdown now for four weeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I, when I look at these poor colleagues, I can tell, you know, they, all of them, right, rings under their eyes, you know, not going out enough, um, you know, have a conversation. You know, how, how, you know, how are you eating? Mm -hmm. um, you know, can, can, can we establish an internal blog about, you know, food recipes? Um, people these days can't cook, right? So how can you take care of yourself? How can you take care of your clients if you can't take care of yourself? So, so there's, there's a lot more you can give your communication to answer your question finally after rambling is you can give your communication a very human touch as a leader. Um, and, and, and I think you need to because we're all social animals and if the office interaction is reduced or is missing, then we need to find a way to create those interactions. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing we can do. Um, I guess the third one is being explicit, you know, everything that I express ex implicitly when I speak with a person face to face, you've got to make that very explicit as to what I, what I'm, what I'm looking for by when, et cetera. But that's, that's yeah. mine. The other things I've mentioned. No, and I, I think, you know, your point about having these one-on-one -on -one conversations, you know, when you're in an office together with someone, you'll notice if they're not doing well or coping for whatever reason. But if you don't regularly check in on video, say, with somebody, you're not going to know if they're sort of falling off the, the line there um, mentally. Yeah physically. So um, to have those one-on-one -on -one check-ins, you know, that's something even I'm doing with the ILN members, just checking in sure. with all of our ambassadors over a period of time, just to say, mm -hmm. how's everyone doing? Yeah. Um, you know, is there anything we can be doing to better help you? Not talking about the business per se, but just to say, you know, what's your situation? How's everything going? Or, you know, who's back in the office? How many days? Those types of things um, across the world, just to say, you know, we're here. How are you? See your face a little bit. Um, and uh, it makes a real difference. Um, and I know, you know, even one of our 
a friend of mine who is not at an ILN law firm, she has been especially in touch with her, all of her associates, many of whom are single people alone mm -hmm. in their homes. And as mm -hmm. you say, not working in an ideal environment and uh, maybe not doing so well. So she's a real good pulse on how the firm as a whole is doing. And it makes a huge difference. Oh, it does. Absolutely. I think that's, that's great. And, and, you know, that here, you know, we, and this is true with many law firms, right? I mean, life is not just about the billable hour. And what we're talking about now takes time away from the billable hour to the client. Mm -hmm. And um, if as firm leaders, you know, we can maybe look at that a little bit and say, well, look, you know, how do we want our partners and really our senior associates look, working with, with, with younger team members? How can we, you know, help them, you know, allocate their time in a productive sort of way? Um, so, you know, I mean, it's always a challenge to sort of say, okay, well, do we take some off the billable hours target? But um, this really depends on the firm. I mean, if your firm has a billable hours target of four hours a day, then I've got some room to, to reallocate my non-bill time. If I'm expecting people to bill eight or eight and a half hours a day, which some firms do, um, then that, that gets in the way. But, you know, the, to me, um, a law firm is a people business. Yes. And we've let the CFOs sort of take that over from us a little bit by just focusing on the billable hours, which isn't, you know, that, 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 that was never a good way to manage things. It's, it's a nice way to, to charge clients that way, but to manage my business that way and to build my entire business model around that, um, that's, um, I've always struggled with that even when I was a junior associate, you know, 25 years ago in, 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 a, in a firm in the U.S., um, so there, you know, it's, it's thinking about, okay, well, what kind of firm are we, what are we all about? And, um, and, um, you know, if, if I'm looking for my people to, you know, serve my clients, well, I've got to have healthy people and, um, you know, I've got to invest some time in that to make sure that they, that they can, you know, that they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're all better at our jobs when we're mentally and physically healthy. That's just how it is. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. The, and, and this is this is where the struggle is, right? So, so I, I remember one situation when when I, I had my my business in London. Um, I had a colleague who came in, looked like death warmed over, right? I mean, she was just I'm not sure what she had, right? It was a like, you know flu plus a little bit, right? I looked at her and I said, you know, A, are you okay? B, why are you here? C, go home. Um, and you know, when you see someone on an online setting, it's like, what, what do you tell that person? Right. You right. can ask them, okay, how are you doing? Um, B, why you're here? Well, you're, okay. Why are you in this call? Right. You can't tell them to, you can't tell them to go home. Right. And, um, I think people, especially sort of, you know, the, the, these ambitious professional types, they put so much pressure on themselves and saying, well, I, I'm at home, so I can, uh, I can take that call. It's like, well, I don't, you know, I then really don't want to see you online either because you have to sleep, you know, you have right. to, you know, you have to drink tea and do, you know, take care of yourself so you can, you know, take care of my clients in a, in a, in a, in a, in a full on way. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to see you. Right. That's a conversation I can only have if I've got these very regular interactions that maybe are not client related and, uh, and see what's going on with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is one piece of advice you would offer to lawyers and law firm leaders during this time? During this time, I don't think I can boil it down to one piece of advice. I think I can, I can tie it to, to one piece of advice. Um, I think it is about a couple of things. It's about um, one, 
staying true to to the to the core of who you are what the firm is and 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 why your firm exists in life mm -hmm. right your firm does not only exist in life to provide profits to its partners right so so just reflect on that and say okay well we are all about this well your partners around this and just you know find a way to to ensure that the, the vast majority sort of is bought into that into that sort of idea as to what we're all about second is what people crave these days is what the psychologists call uh, psychological security we are so concerned about what you know will our parents get sick if so will they be okay um will will we get this thing um will i keep my job how is the firm doing if the firm is not doing so well will i lose my job i've got you know three kids i have to feed people are fundamentally insecure in this in the time of this crisis so what you can do as a, as, as a leader of a firm is to help give that psychological security and you do that by being transparent mm -hmm. uh, especially if things are not are not going well right it's like look you know we've we've lost three clients and you know these two jobs that we thought we had and um yes you know we, we've got a margin of cash until x I mean, it depends on how, how good or how bad things are but be transparent about what's going on and don't lie to your people about what measures you're thinking of taking and taking them mm -hmm. um that, that, that's item two and item three is um is um is um this um you know, we as leaders have an, have an obligation to infuse positivity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the lawyers, you know, it's, 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 I remember interviewing one, one associate a long time ago. It's like, so, you know, what do you think is brand new right out of law school? So what, you know, so what do you think is your, you know, big sort of, you know, what is it about you that, you know, that, that really, you know, it's going to drive you to be a good lawyer at this firm. Do you know the answer that I got? What? Um, what I got was, I can criticize really well. Oh God! <laughs> and and that's it. It was an example of a, of a baby associate, but you know, partners. I see this at, at at law firms of any size. You know, attorneys. You 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 get a piece of communication. You get a video. You get a piece of paper from the other side. The first thing you do, you take your red pen and start criticizing, marking things up. No one cares. And the people don't care. No, nope. you criticize them. Right? <laughs> um, so it's it's weird. As every partner in every firm, you don't have to be in the leadership role. Every partner in a firm, every senior associate in the firm, every managing partner has an obligation to instill positivity in the business. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 that because that that goes back, a itself itself um, self fulfilling and and self um, duplicating, but also it's um it, it goes towards everything that we've said. You know, in terms of you know. Giving people that 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 psychological security, giving them that can-do attitude, um, we, we you know we we need positivity so that people are unblocked in their brains from all the crap that's happening, so that people can take care of clients well, can take care of themselves well, and and do well for the firm. So it's 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 those 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 three things is what I think I can I can I can boil it down to you know, um, um, but that, that instilling positivity is probably the biggest obligation that we have as leaders in times like this. Yeah, there's always room for always time for criticism, but now is not the time. <laughs> and there, and there, and there is in the in the context delivered in a constructive way. Yeah. Right? If somebody has messed up, I've got to be transparent about that, and I have to you know, do that. In, I've got to deliver that criticism in a constructive way. Of course. What doesn't help is a 
is, is waking up and starting your day you know, criticizing things and people and everything all day. That does not help. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So wrapping this up, totally separate from everything we've discussed, what is one thing during this time of pandemic that you're enjoying? What I'm enjoying uh, the most, actually, is um, not having, well, two th- I can't boil it down to one thing, <laughs> two things, but they're interrelated. So I've really enjoyed the fact that my, my wife, who's got a fairly um, high position in, in one of the, the big banks um, here, in, here in Zurich, um, that she is basically working from home. So um, we, um, you know, we have lunch together. Um, when, when before Penang do we ha- ever have lunch together unless, you know, we, we meet in the city and make a date, right? Um, so, but now we have it regularly. Um, you know, we've got a ske- we've, we've got a much more scheduled life, right? In the morning, you know, she, she goes running with the dog at lunch, after lunch, I, I do. Um, and in the evening, you know, we do a joint walk together. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 that, that I'm enjoying the most. And the second thing I'm enjoying is um, not having... Um, an airplane ride in my schedule. Um, I've been doing international work since 1991, and I'm just now dating myself. Huh? Um, I've had my first job in 91. It was an international job, so I've had th- I've had planes in my diary ever since 1991. Wow. My last my last flight got canceled for a conference that was supposed to happen live in June, and that got canceled sometime in March. For six months, or for whatever it is, I haven't had really a a diary entry for 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 an airplane ride, and I must say, um, you know, it, it's. I don't miss, you know, the you know the platinum status means nothing. Wow. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's those two I would probably give you as the as the um, as the thing that I've enjoyed the most. Um, but uh, you know, the, the I will also be very happy when 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 I'll fly again carelessly. So. Yes. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. I'm very happy to hear it. And thank you so much for being our guest today. This was really wonderful. I appreciate it so much. Um, And thank you so much to all of our listeners. We will be back again next week with another guest. And in the meantime, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe over on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lindsay. Real love firms, real intelligence.